0: Reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication. If you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the internet. Diabetic99.com. People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar, but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at diabetic99.com. Watch for free at diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to diabetic99.com.
1: A Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Morse speaks on the Information
2: Radio Network. Good afternoon. Chuck Morse speaks. This is your host, Chuck Morse, Monday through Friday, 10 till noon, here at the Information Radio Network. You're welcome to join the program 844 439 1391. 844-439-1391. As part of my series of interviewing great American intellectuals, we are joined by Christopher Cameron. He is uh, assistant professor of history at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte. He teaches courses on slavery and abolition, early American history, and American religious and intellectual history. He is currently working on a study of African-American freethinkers from the late 18th century to the present, And he is the author of the book, To Plead Our Own Cause, African-Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti-Slavery Movement. Christopher, thanks for joining me this afternoon.
3: Thank you for having me, Chuck.
2: Christopher, are you there? All right. Speak up when you're able. There we go. Christopher, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Appreciate you joining me. Um, for some reason, I'm having trouble hearing you, but oh, let's thank you forge for forward. Me.
4: Uh, hear me now? There we go.
2: Thanks so much. Yep, that's good. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I'm enjoying the book. I'm about halfway through it. I'm being slammed with books right now, so I'm, I'll have to have you back when I finish it. I mean, it's it's a tremendous uh, piece of work, and um, I applaud you for writing it. Uh, this oh, book deals with... Uh, you welcome this book deals with the abolition movement, particularly as in, at its genesis in my own home state of Massachusetts amongst African Americans who were enslaved in Massachusetts before the American Revolution during the American Revolution and in the period leading up to the the earnest launching of the uh, the abolition movement in the, in the 1830s yeah um, my my first observation is one that maybe it sounds a little simplistic, but I'd like you to ponder it. And that is that, um, I mean, first of all, maybe it's because of because I'm a modern thinker. I have trouble getting my mind around the idea that um, <clears throat> any person could enslave another human being. Mm-hmm. And I find that hard to, I think most of us find that hard to understand, but yet I find it particularly hard to understand how that could have been going on in Massachusetts at a time when Massachusetts was really the the cradle of liberty, the fermenter of the American Revolution, and there were all of these ideas that had become commonplace about natural rights and liberty and freedom. And uh, And how could the people of Massachusetts, including people who actually were opposed to slavery – not only continue with the institution of slavery in the state, relatively unquestioned, but continue to view African Americans as somehow different and inferior to them?
3: Uh, Thank you for asking that. Um, Major justifications for slavery had been the idea that Africans were heathens, and by enslaving them, Christians were going to bring the gospel to them, they were going to baptize them. Uh, introduced them to Christianity, and even though their bodies might be enslaved here on Earth, their souls would be free in heaven. Um, this was a very powerful justification uh-huh. for slavery among the Spanish, the French, the Dutch, uh, and the English as well. Right Now, we know slavery wasn't quite as prominent in Massachusetts as it was in Virginia or South Carolina, but there was still this idea among Puritan ministers in New England Um, that slavery would be beneficial for Africans because it would introduce them to the gospel. Um, And the question you raise about this sort of contradiction between ideas of liberty and um, justifications for slavery, um, Edmund Morgan actually discussed this in his book back in 1975, I believe, American Slavery, American Freedom, where he partially argued Mm -hmm. that ideas of liberty um, actually drew from the institution of slavery, right? People saw how terrible uh, the situation of black slaves was, and it made them not want to endure slavery at the hands of the British, as they called it, right? Unfair taxation, um, issues of representation and sovereignty, right? So slavery and liberty were really intertwined. But in Massachusetts, that connection wouldn't last very long. Right at the end of the revolutionary period, Massachusetts would abolish slavery, becoming one of the first states to do so.
2: Right, and and in fact, one of the first uh, republics or the first governments in history to voluntarily abolish slavery. I mean, slavery obviously is an institution that goes back to the ancient days. Uh, yep. Yep. The, um, the 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 other factor I find fascinating is that um, there was this general idea that somehow. African Americans were not intellectually equal to um, to white people, and mm-hmm. yet you you document brilliantly several brilliant thinkers uh like uh, Phyllis Wheatley and others minister haynes and, and and several others who obviously were at least intellectually as equal as anyone in 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 this country I mean especially yeah. Phyllis Wheatley, she was a child prodigy i mean she and she was famous i mean she was well known she was published as as a uh, as a writer as a poet and that uh people in this country Massachusetts in particular they they must have come into contact with that they knew her she was uh, you know she spoke publicly i mean didn't it occur to them that this was a hoax i mean that, that of course she's intellectually equal at, at least i
3: think it did occur to a lot of people but um Ideas about racial inferiority or superiority are often tied to economic circumstances, right? So there was a great fear in Massachusetts, in Connecticut, in New York, in a lot of these states that were abolishing slavery in the late 18th century, that these newly freed slaves were going to take lesser wages, right, and they were going to compete for scarce resources and scarce jobs. So in a sense, racism becomes sort of a justification for the economic and social order, right? I I mean, I'm convinced that a lot of people did not believe in the intellectual inferiority of Africans, African Americans, but it was just a, a useful and common language used to keep them in a inferior social and economic position.
2: Now you make you draw a differentiation between the north and the south in that um the southern immigration was primarily economic you had people who wanted to develop uh, rice fields and uh, and businesses a lot of them coming mm-hmm. in from Barbados which had had sugar farming and uh, you know they'd been kind of squeezed out of that small country so they came here to make money and to uh, and and as such they viewed slavery strictly from a um An economic standpoint, it was obviously free labor. Whereas in the North, the immigration, especially in New England, was religiously based. People didn't come here to make money. I mean, they did, but the main reason, the main motivation was for religious freedom, to uh, Mm -hmm. express their, uh, to establish their own religious order separate from that of the Church of England. And uh, and that that possibly is why, Uh, slavery, abolition uh, took place uh, quickly here and why it was not taking place and it became so entrenched in the South.
3: Yeah, I definitely think that's probably the central reason why. Um, And what we see among Puritans all throughout the New England states is uh, a more strict ordering of their society based upon the principles of the Old Testament which have a number of um, regulations regarding the treatment of slaves. So we see in New England that slaves were actually treated as both people and property before the law, whereas in the southern colonies and in the Caribbean, they're treated primarily as property, right? So in New England, they could sue for their freedom. Um, they could even enter into contracts. Uh, they could. They had some of the rights of people. Of course, they could also be sold like pieces of property, but at the same time, they had rights of people petitioning as well. Um, And these rights that were established in the colonial period in the earliest uh, legal codes um, of Massachusetts uh, allowed slaves 100, 120 years later to be able to sue their masters, to be able to submit petitions to the general court, um, and to be able to slowly but surely attack the institution of slavery.
2: Christopher you draw an interesting um differentiation between the northern and southern attitude in that the northern uh, approach to slavery as you just pointed out was actually more akin to the biblical approach to slavery. I mean if you take a look and and we we'll get into the issue of um calvinism which of course animated the uh, puritans and and that is that um in the bible slaves had rights. You know there was slavery but they they got to rest on the Sabbath. They uh, the the family was commanded to treat them with dignity and kindness. They were treated mm-hmm. like members of the family. I'm not saying that always how it went down in terms of what happened. But the Bible does set the stage for abolition by recognizing basic human rights and uh, and labor rights uh, with regard to slaves. And that was something that was embraced by. The founding fathers of Massachusetts, not by the South, which was not religious. It was, uh, you know, just mildly connected to the Church of England. That the main motivator there was uh, just the sheer economic issues. They didn't have this idea. They didn't. They weren't as well versed in biblical ideas. Uh, would you say that was true?
3: Uh, yes, I. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the South wasn't as well versed in biblical ideas. Um, Rebecca Ghost, in a recent book, The Baptism of Virginia, uh, does show the sort of uh, religious motivations of colonizing the South. So they weren't completely absent of religious ideas, but they weren't creating theocracies, right? And in New England, they saw themselves as creating, uh, you know, theocracies, right, creating God's kingdom on Earth. So ministers like Cotton Mather... Took these injunctions about the labor of slaves and incorporating them uh, into familial structures, took them very seriously. And Mather published, uh, Mather gave a number of sermons and published tracts such as The Negro Christianized and A Good Master Well Served that basically applied these biblical principles around slavery um, to Massachusetts society and to Massachusetts's slave system. And from what I see of um, Church statistics and uh, certain early court cases and practices, Mathers' injunctions were heeded, not by every single slave master in the colony, of course, but by a significant enough number where we see slaves being baptized and coming into these Puritan churches starting in the early 18th century, About really about a mm. 100 years sooner than you would see a large number of slaves start to be baptized in the southern colonies.
2: And I think that uh, maybe I'm being um, overgeneralizing here, but um, my impression is that uh, Thomas Jefferson's attitude toward religion might be more typified of the Southern attitude, which was very liberal and which was not literal, uh, the, yeah. that the Bible was not the word of God, whereas in in the North, particularly Massachusetts, the Calvinist attitude was that the Bible was divine, was the word of God, and that uh, this is why they followed these injunctions of, um, of protecting the uh, the basic rights of slaves. Now, um, you also say, and I think this is a fascinating um, insight. And, and again, I've only I'm only about half, slightly less than halfway through the book, so I want to have you back when I finish it. But uh, that that um, the African Americans embraced in Massachusetts Calvinism, um, and that yeah, yeah. that embrace played a significant role in the development of uh, opposition to slavery. Okay, we've got to take a brief break here. Christopher Cameron's my guest to plead our own cause. We'll be right- Last night, we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved
1: us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woo-hoo! So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all-ages show oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah,
5: and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you. And discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later.
1: Yeah, see you soon.
5: Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
6: Don't miss Sprint's Cut Your Bill in Half event. Just bring your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone, and we'll cut your rate plan in half. So if you're paying $260 a month for your family's four lines with Verizon, we'll cut it to $130. Or if you're paying $80 for yourself, we'll cut it to $40. Plus, we'll give you unlimited talk and text in the U.S. and match your data all on the Sprint Network. The Cut Your Bill in Half event at Sprint. Bring us your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone, and we'll cut your rate plan in half. Visit us at sprint.com slash price, or go to a Sprint store today. Limited time offer available when you choose a leasing option or Sprint Easy Pay. Subject to credit and ballot consumer port. Discount applied to monthly voice, text, and data charges with a minimum $10 monthly rate charge. Excludes taxes, surcharges, add-ons, apps, premium content, international services, additional lines, and device charges. Other plans may receive prioritized bandwidth availability. To improve data experience for the majority of users, throughput may be limited, varied, or reduced on the network. Max of 10 lines per account. No cash back. Third-party marks are property to their respective owners. Restrictions apply.
0: What if I told you that you could reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication? If you or someone you care about has diabetes or pre-diabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the internet. Diabetic99.com People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval diabetic99.com is a natural drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at diabetic99.com. Watch for free at diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com.
7: This report is brought to you by the National Limousine Association, NLA. Ride hailing mobile apps offer a new way for city dwellers fed up with traditional transportation to get around town. But sometimes that convenience comes at a premium most passengers seem unwilling to pay. Particularly if it compromises their safety. The NLA recently commissioned Harris Poll to conduct an online survey of over 2,000 U.S. adults, 18 and older. 73% would not use ride hailing apps like Uber, Lyft, Sidecar, and Whisk if doing so put them in harm's way, even if they were convenient. 81% of Americans see it also important to have privacy protection from their car service drivers. 84% think fares should be set regardless of traffic conditions. NLA is creating Ride Responsibly, an initiative focused on educating the industry and public about regulations, legislation, and best practices within the industry. For more information, visit rideresponsibly.org.
2: Chuck Morse Speaks. Thank you very much, and my guest is Christopher Cameron. He's the author of To Plead Our Own Cause, African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti-Slavery Movement. Christopher, uh, you talk about the influence of Calvinism on the um, on the African American slaves in Massachusetts. Uh, you, you particularly mention Phyllis Wheatley and others and how they... Seem to well. Not only did they very beautifully and amazingly incorporate the language of Calvinism into their public utterances and their writings, but uh, but that they genuinely embraced these ideas and the influence that those ideas had on the African American community as a whole. So uh, please expound on that a bit, if you will.
3: Oh, certainly. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Puritan ministers uh, like Cotton Mather, like Samuel Willard, really emphasized. Uh, baptism and conversion of slaves, and they really called for slave owners to to bring their slaves to church to incorporate them um, into their family and into these church communities. Um, slavery in Massachusetts was very sort of dispersed, right? There weren't a lot of big plantations, so for many Africans, coming to church on Sunday might be the only time that they actually saw other slaves or even other free blacks in the colony, so Coming to these congregational churches provided a sense of church community. Um, it also provided for literacy. Cotton Mather ran a school for slaves um, in his own church, the Second Congregational Church, for about 25 years in the early 18th century. So there were some, you know, those useful aspects um, of joining a church community for slaves. But there are also parts of just Calvinist theology in general that were appealing. Now, we know Calvinism comes along with predestination, and you're not really sure whether or not you're among the elect or whether or not you're going to go to hell, right? So it could produce a lot of anxiety, but it can also produce hope, Mm -hmm. because you don't know uh, where you're going to go, and maybe, you know, that makes you hopeful for the future. You don't know what God's plan is. You don't know what God has predestined for your life. So it could produce a lot of anxiety, but hope, um, on the other hand, as well, and Calvinism also tried to infuse biblical principles into society, principles like being just to one another, practicing brotherly love, practicing affection towards one another, right? And it said that if we don't do this in our society, then God is going to look unfavorably upon us, right? So African Americans used this language and and bought into these ideas and said, yes, we do need to be just to one another, one way that you can be just to me and practice brotherly love to me is to free me, right, and to free the other slaves um, in the colony. So Mm -hmm. um, they embraced this theology, but it was also very functional for them, and it helped them, I think, um, advance their arguments against slavery.
2: (laughs) Yeah, man, I think that they seem to, uh, you know, the Calvinist ideals seem to throw a great deal of – of questioning and doubt into the institution of slavery, and that was reinforced by the Bible itself, which seems to honor the, you know, the right of the individual. And and you know, what it makes me think also, and I think you also alluded to this, is the influence of this movement in Massachusetts, and perhaps a commingling of this movement with the um, the, the winds of revolution uh, in in starting in Massachusetts, which was where it started, and the whole country, and even in the South. Like, for example, I mean, you know, if you listen to Patrick Henry's speech before the House of Burgesses, he uses some of the same Calvinist language, uh, and he uses he he makes reference to, are the British going to turn us into slaves, you know, or are we going to be a free people? I, I just find it fascinating that they had such a disconnect with that language and those sentiments, which were very real. And very pervasive, and yet here they are with slaves. It's just uh, you know it's it's hard to to fathom it. I mean, I suppose I mean even a more modern example of that—not modern, but pre- antebellum example—is that uh, I happen to be Jewish, and uh, there's a famous picture of a Southern family holding a seder uh, on Passover, uh, where they're obviously talking about the the freedom. You know the fight against the slavery of the Pharaoh, and you go through this whole story, and there's black slaves serving them at the table. I mean, it's very yeah. bizarre that uh, you know there's like this disconnect to reality of what's going on in their lives and, and these these ideals.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, like I was mentioning a little earlier, this um, people who saw the impact that slavery had. Saw that slavery kept them in a degraded position, saw that slavery kept them uneducated, and a lot of times didn't allow them, especially in the South in the 18th century, didn't allow them to join uh, in these church communities and to really participate in social and political life at all. If you see what slavery does to them, you're going to be much more jealous of starting your own life.
2: Thanks a lot. All right, we'll be right back. Uh... Christopher, stay with me. We're going to take another break here to put this to food, our own cause.
6: Cut your bill in half event. Just bring your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone and we'll cut your rate plan in half. So if you're paying $260 a month for your family's four lines with Verizon, we'll cut it to $130. Or if you're paying $80 for yourself, we'll cut it to $40. Plus we'll give you unlimited talk and text in the U.S. and match your data all on the Sprint network. The Cut Your Bill in Half event at Sprint. Bring us your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone and we'll cut your rate plan in half. Visit us at Sprint.com slash half price or go to a Sprint store today. Limited time offer available when you choose a leasing option or Sprint Pay. Subject to credit and valid consumer port. Discount applied to monthly voice, text, and data charges with a minimum $10 monthly rate charge. Excludes taxes, surcharges, add-ons, apps, premium content, international services, additional lines, and device charges. Other plans may receive prioritized bandwidth availability. To improve data experience for the majority of users, throughput may be limited, varied, or reduced on the network. Max of 10 lines per account. No cash back. Third-party marks are property of their respective owners. Restrictions apply.
7: This report is brought to you by the National Limousine Association, NLA. Ride-hailing mobile apps offer a new way for city dwellers fed up with traditional transportation to get around town. But sometimes that convenience comes at a premium most passengers seem unwilling to pay, particularly if it compromises their safety. The NLA recently commissioned Harris Poll to conduct an online survey of over 2,000 U.S. adults 18 and older. 73% would not use ride-hailing apps like Uber, Lyft, Sidecar, and Whisk if doing so put them in harm's way. Even if they were convenient. Eighty-one percent of Americans see it also important to have privacy protection from their car service drivers. Eighty-four percent think fares should be set regardless of traffic conditions. NLA is creating Ride Responsibly, an initiative focused on educating the industry and public about regulations, legislation, and best practices within the industry. For more information, visit rideresponsibly.org.
1: Taking back America one listener at a time. Chuck, Chuck Morse speaks.
2: Thank you very much. Christopher Cameron's my guest. His book is To Lead Our Own Cause, African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti Slavery Movement. Christopher, I think that you're getting also into the quest into the issue of the origins of the Black Church, which I believe played a much more significant role in the eventual abolition of slavery than it's credited with playing. I also think it's played the significant and pivotal role in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. After all, it was led by black Christian ministers like the late, late great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And that what this did was it framed the issue from in a moral context and a spiritual context. And that, to my way of thinking, is what made the change possible. Furthermore, I think that the black church is such a significant moral force in American culture that it actually should be credited with saving American Christianity in general, because I think it reanimated and re-spiritualized, you know, white Christian churches. What say you?
3: Uh, I think you're definitely right. Um, a lot of the activists that I were working in the 1780s and 1790s were some of the same people that founded
0: Mhm.
2: We're just having uh, we're having like a, a spot here. I think that uh, Christopher is coming to us from um, the Smoky Mountains of Western North Carolina. I've been there so it's um it can be a little bit uh, tricky when it comes to reception. Uh, so Christopher, I think we're just hitting a a, a spot there. Um, please uh, continue, and uh, and hopefully um, w- we'll once again make the connection. Um, this is published. This book is published by Kent State University Press. It's available in all major bookstores. If you ask for it, uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and it definitely gives a great insight to. Um, to, i think the um the abolition movement and um the um, anti-slavery uh developments and and even and including the civil rights movement of the 1960s which was a christian movement largely and most fundamentally it was a uh, a movement that called upon the conscience of americans with regard to their um you know refusal or, refu- or or non-acceptance of the principle that all men are created equal, that we are to treat each other with basic human dignity, that we're to treat each other as individuals as opposed to putting up collective ca- uh, categories. And in that case, it was Africans. Um, and that the, this is a principle that ran through the anti-slavery movement. It ran through the American patriot movement which led to the American Revolution and it's the very essence of uh, of who we are as a nation you know it's what separated us from in a way from other nations and it's a fulfillment of Christian ideals. Uh, Christopher are you there? Okay we're, we're just having some technical problems uh, here. Uh, please call Christopher back um, again I mean there's, um, he, he told me in advance that uh, we might have these problems because he's uh, he's in the Smoky Mountains of Western North Carolina, which is beautiful country, by the way. I've been there. I have, we have relatives in Asheville, but the um, the the reception is not good. I mean, these are these are very high mountains. I mean, this is uh, the highest mountain range east of the Mississippi, and I think that um, there's still real dead spots when it comes to. Um, to phone reception, and he is on a cell phone. So it looks like we might have lost uh, Christopher. Up, oh, we're getting him back. Uh, again, To Plead Our Own Cause is the name of the book, African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti-Slavery Movement. Uh, Christopher, you're back. Thank you for joining me. Yes,
3: yeah, sorry. got this. And we're just ha-
2: no, that's okay. I, I've explained. There's a couple of uh, connection problems here in the Smoky Mountains. We're going to be right back. We now have to take a break. Uh, Christopher Cameron's with me uh, to lead our own cause. We'll be right back.
5: A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show Chuck Moore Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award and was named a Heavy 100 Radio Talk Host by Talkers Magazine. When Chuck Moore Speaks, people listen.
2: The taking possession of this tiny holy land so that the the Jew can serve God, not conquer of the world.
5: To hear Chuck live, go to irnusaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the On Demand page at deborahray.us.
8: Most of us have pondered about the one universal question, is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they are true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via his universal laws and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, TheAnswer-Book.com
0: could reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication. If you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the internet. Diabetic99.com. People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar, but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com.
2: Chuck Morse Speaks Thank you very much, and my guest is Christopher Cameron. The book is To Plead Our Own Cause, African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti-Slavery Movement. Uh, Christopher, we're talking about the influence of the black church on the um, on the American Revolution, on the uh, eventual abolition of slavery, and on the civil rights movement of the, of the 1960s. A pretty broad subject, but I'd like you to comment further on that.
3: Sure. Um, well, the black church really started to coalesce in the North after the American Revolution. Um, we do see some prominent anti-slavery leaders of the 1780s and 1790s especially um, becoming leaders of black churches in Philadelphia, like Richard Allen, Uh, Absalom Jones, Christopher Rush in New York City, and especially Thomas Paul um, in Boston, who's involved in the anti-slavery movement as well. Um, Moving forward in the 19th century, the black churches would really play a central role in both the Underground Railroad, serving as sort of way stations and along routes routes to Canada, also in raising funds to help purchase uh, people who are still enslaved in the South, um, but also just primarily in the sort of moral critique that ministers especially made against the institution of slavery. So um, really from its inception, black churches um, and the black church would be foundational to the abolitionist movement. Now, looking at the civil rights movement, uh, it's sort of a different story. Now, we see the the great visibility of uh, black religious leaders in the civil rights movement, but by the mid 20th century, the black church had actually become a lot less radical than it had been in the mid-19th century. Um, One historian, Barbara Savage, estimates that less than 15% of all black churches participated in any type of civil rights organizing, right? The percentage would be much, much higher for those who participated in the abolitionist movement 100 years earlier. So we still see the sort of prominence um, of religious leaders, but in looking at the overall participation, it had sort of drastically waned in that hundred-year period.
2: Well, that, that's really interesting. Um, although I do think that the civil rights movement itself, um, amongst uh, particularly amongst African Americans, was a religious movement, and it was a Christian movement led by Christians. Um, we'll be right back, and uh, after this.
8: Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via his universal laws and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com. Our website, theanswer book.com. Chuck Morse
1: speaks.
2: Thank you very much. Christopher Cameron is my guest. The book is To Plead Our Own Cause African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti Slavery Movement. Christopher. Um, how influential were Calvinist ideas to the development of the black church, and how influential were those ideas to the Civil Rights Movement itself in the 1960s?
3: Uh, Calvinist ideas were important in the development of black Baptist churches. Um, So the first uh, black Baptist church arose in Savannah, Georgia in 1775, Uh, and then there were a few more congregations throughout the South, as well as a Black Baptist church in Boston in 1806 and, um, and throughout other northern cities. So it was primarily important within that denomination um, during the early uh, late 18th and early 19th century, um, but it would not be as important in the sort of larger African Methodist Episcopal and African Methodist Episcopal Zion denominations. Um, there we mm-hmm. see a sort of move away from Calvinism, towards more Arminian ideas that you can choose your own spiritual uh, fate, you can choose to be saved. Um, So they really start—most black Christians in the 19th century would sort of move away from ideas of uh, predestination. One thing that they didn't move away from, though, whether you were Methodist, Baptist, whatever denomination, is the notion that God had a covenant uh, with the American people, Right. Um, and that you had to mm-hmm. live a just and moral and virtuous life on an individual level and at the national level if this society was going to survive and continue to thrive and grow, right? So um, that idea sure. was really infused throughout Black Christianity and would play a very prominent role in both abolitionism and in civil rights um, 100 years later. And And we see the same thing. Um, even among you know members of the Nation of Islam, Black Baptist churches, Black Methodist churches in the 1960s, there's still this powerful idea um, of a covenant with God, right? And if Americans yeah. break this covenant through slavery or through racism in Jim Crow in the 20th century, then God is going to have his wrath against the nation. So it, it would certainly continue to play a very powerful role throughout black religious and intellectual history.
2: I also think that these ideas and, and, uh, you know, the covenant idea, the uh, atonement idea, uh, other biblical ideas, absolutely animated the public speeches and utterances of of the late great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and that Mm -hmm. that was the moral underpinning of the whole movement.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I very briefly touch on this at the end of my book, but... The activists that I explore um, in my work, Phyllis Wheatley and Prince Hall and Lemuel Haynes and David Walker, were really the sort of intellectual predecessors of um, the more famous people that we know from the 20th century, like Malcolm X or Fannie Lou Hamer or Martin Luther King, right? Um, These 18th and early 19th century activists really sort of initiated the uh, rhetorical strategies, um, and the kind of uh, the mixture of religion and politics um, that great civil rights leaders would employ a hundred years later.
2: Right. And that uh, I think that this was really the this presentation more than anything else is what led to the success of the movement. I mean, it's uh, it was eventually embraced by most well-meaning white people, including people in the South who who were not that inclined because it it, it resonated. It, it made sense. I mean, there was a moral component. Once, that That's what won the day, and that's exactly what Martin Luther King predicted.
3: Yeah, I think you're right, but um, you make an important point in saying it was embraced by most well-meaning uh, white people in the South, right? And how many well-meaning right, people there were is certainly up to debate, right? So um, even as sure, widespread sure. as the civil rights movement was, Um, it was still not very, very widely embraced by all of American society. And we see at the end of the 1960s a very sharp backlash um, to the civil rights movement.
2: Right, right. But I think that, and sure, I mean, obviously it wasn't embraced, but I think it was generally embraced by by the vast majority and because of its moral message. Um, And and that... uh, you know i mean i think it's, it's it's what made the change uh you know it's why we've rejected these you know the, the ideas that were prevalent before it the jim crow laws um mm-hmm. there are other reasons why i think people might have problems with the civil rights movement but it's not because of the moral aspect to it um you know the the, the moral aspect to it i think resonated and became very much a part of uh, mainstream american thinking
3: Yeah, yeah, I think
2: think you're right. Christopher Cameron, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Thank you so much. To plead our own cause. Thank you very much, sir.
0: If I told you that you could reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication, if you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the Internet. Diabetic99.com. People who have followed this plan at diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar, but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com.
1: You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network.
2: At uh, Kent State University, we are of to our own cause. African Americans in Massachusetts and the making of the anti-slavery movement. It's really a very insightful book, and um, I'm, I'm hoping to have him back um, soon once I finish the book. Uh, the uh, I was listening before this program to uh, my radio host colleague Jeff Kooner on WRKO debate Jeff Jacoby. Who's a conservative columnist for the Boston Globe and who wrote a column attacking Jeff and his rally on the State House steps here in Massachusetts, um, which was against uh, the illegal immigration, referring to them as nativist, referring to uh, them as unhinged, and, and basically a, a very hard hitting, nasty column. And uh, I thought that uh, Jeff Cooner had, uh, had uh, Jeff Jacoby on the program. They cleared away all commercials and and calls and breaks, and they went at it for an hour and a half without a single interruption. It was one of the best radio segments that I have ever heard. Um, It reminded me of what WRKO did back in the day when my mentor, the late, great Jerry Williams, had on Governor Michael Dukakis. This was uh, 1989, 1990, around that time. And again, they cleared away all commercials, they cleared away all interruptions, and they just went mano a mano. Um, and it was just a tremendous, memorable radio moment. Uh, so I congratulate both Jeff Kuhner and Jeff Jacoby. I've invited both of them on this program uh, separately. If they want to come on together, they're welcome. Um, and I hope that they respond, because uh, to my way of thinking, just from a sheer radio standpoint, this is the essence of what I believe talk radio is all about. You had a real argument on real differences presented by two very brilliant and accomplished uh, radio people who know how to handle themselves on the air and who are both intellectuals in their own right. And uh, I'm just uh, amazed that that it took place. Now, in the next hour, hour number two here, we'll be joined by S.C. Sherman, who is the author of the book Mercy Shot. He wants to talk about Elizabeth Warren. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back after these messages. Listen to the Information Radio Network.
7: By the National Limousine Association, NLA. Ride-hailing mobile apps offer a new way for city dwellers fed up with traditional transportation to get around town. But sometimes that convenience comes at a premium most passengers seem unwilling to pay, particularly if it compromises their safety. The NLA recently commissioned Harris Poll to conduct an online survey of over 2,000 U.S. adults 18 and older. 73% would not use ride-hailing apps like Uber, Lyft, Sidecar and whisk. if doing so, put them in harm's way, even if they were convenient. Eighty-one percent of Americans see it also important to have privacy protection from their car service drivers. Eighty-four percent think fares should be set regardless of traffic conditions. NLA is creating Ride Responsibly, an initiative focused on educating the industry and public about regulations, legislation, and best practices within the industry. For more information, visit rideresponsibly.org.
0: Reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication. If you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the internet. Diabetic99.com. People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar, but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com.
1: A Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network.
2: Thank you very much. Hour number two of Chuck Moore Speaks, Monday through Friday, 10 till noon. Here at the Information Radio Network, you'll have to join the program. 844-439-1391. 844-439-1391. And my guest this segment is S.C. Sherman. He is the author of the book Mercy Shot and is a weekly politics and culture columnist for DailySurge.com and ClashDaily.com. S.C., thanks for joining me this afternoon.
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: Uh, You've uh, sent me a press release criticizing my senator, Sitting Bull, uh, that being Elizabeth Warren <laughs> uh, oh, with yeah. kind of a funny picture here. Um, I don't even get me started, but I want to hear you you give me a, a brief synopsis of, of your beef with Elizabeth Warren.
4: Yeah, that's city uh, that's funny City Bowl. The fact is she just is positioning herself to be the next woman in line just in case Hillary decides not to go. Uh, I do believe Hillary still has it in her hands if she wants to be the nominee. But there's not been a real good book to her lately, and she's not – there's a little rumbling, that she may not actually do it. But uh, that has lit up the Run Liz Run campaign, and there seems to be a lot of people pretty excited that we're going to have to have a, a female, just since we need to run through everyone who hasn't been president and try to get them in there um, from every group. But she's got a little bit of history of lying already built up, uh his wife and I found it pretty humorous to
2: take a little shot at it yeah well I mean you know I don't even know if you you know the beginning and I mean I'm here in Massachusetts so I've covered Elizabeth Warren from the beginning and uh, I, I don't think that even most liberals around the country understand who this person really is I mean you know I, I never really thought that um, that this person who is a walking scandal, would ever go outside of Massachusetts. I mean, I get that, unfortunately, my fellow citizens in the state are, are brain dead, uh, yeah. but and I'm embarrassed to the rest of the country that we elected this individual. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that if she were uh, actually – if she were to become the nominee, um, I don't think that – I think she'd be like George McGovern. I think that she'd go down in flames – not just because of her left wing ideology or at least what well, that's what she purports to believe in it's not how she's lived, but because you know the country doesn't want that right now um, and um, and I think that uh, you know you have a very tiny group of people and one of the reasons Obama was successful is because he was able to run from the center um, and and in a sense obscure his leftism but uh, but she actually is out there touting it so you know, if if the Democrats want to commit suicide and, and have her as their nominee, I I would say go for it. I just don't see it. But but there are things about Elizabeth Warren that particularly irk me. It's not even so much that she poses as a leftist, but it's the utter hypocrisy of her life, which I think would you would think on the surface would would left wingers would recoil at. But yet they're willing to not only look the other way, but almost airbrush it out of the picture when they look at this person. It's really bizarre, actually.
4: Yeah, she definitely gets the you know the the big media pass, and I think you're right. She would not be nearly as formidable as a, as a Hillary, who has her own baggage. She'd be fighting, I think, much more than she wants to believe. But. Uh, Liz Warren is, is not the same kind of candidate. She is going to have an no. intense uh, struggle, and I think it would not go her favor. Um, it's Yeah, I'm sure you've watched her grow up, and kind of shocking to see that she's getting national traction. Uh, I know how that feels, watching some kind of small people seem like, wow, that person's really going to go a long way. How does that even happen? Yeah. Um, but it does happen. It's, it's strange.
2: Well, it happened with Obama. I mean, he obscured all of his background. We didn't know anything about him, and he was able to emerge. But I don't think that Elizabeth Warren is is like Obama in that Obama was a, a cult figure, and, and he had charisma as a person. You know, he had a great story to tell in his personal life, and he looked good. Elizabeth Warren is snarly and mean and mediocre and ugly. I mean, as an individual, when you when you meet her, and I have met her, and um, and when she uh, the way she presents herself. So I, I don't think that she's going to, to pull it off. In fact, I don't mean to be blunt here, and I'm sorry if this sounds crude. I know it's a radio this is a family show, but I mean basically people will be voting for her vagina. Anyway, um yeah. putting that aside, Elizabeth Warren is a fraud. I mean this is this whole thing is a complete hoax. You know, she is the biggest phony to ever come down the pike. This is a person who made $11.5 million in 2011, according to her tax return, basically by taking very large checks from multinational corporations. Now, there's nothing uh, wrong with that on the surface, putting aside the fact that she did it as a lawyer who was fixing things for them on the inside and practicing law in Massachusetts, even though she didn't have a license here. But the fact is that she was involved in particular th- projects such as Dow Chemical Company. Now, you'd think that the left would hate Dow Chemical Company. After all, they were a multinational corporation of billionaires and billionaires who make money from pollution. But yet she was hired by Dow Chemical Company uh, and given a six-figure check because they were being sued by women who were upset over the fact that they were suffering from toxic shock syndrome due to their breast implants. Elizabeth Warren came along and and made it, made it impossible for these women to get justice. She uh, was hired by Dow Chemical to make sure that these women didn't get any money from Dow Chemical. Now, some of those women today might be dead, so we don't hear from them. But the fact that she is now posing as a champion of women... Um, Another example is that she received a $250,000 check from Travelers Insurance, which was trying to screw workers at at Johns Mansfield, which they, they were the insurance company for, who got asbestos cancer due to their exposure to asbestos. She was able to come in there, get a $250,000 check, and basically separate Travelers Insurance from this settlement by setting up a separate fund that basically paid people peanuts um, in, in settlement. In other words, you had working people at at Johns Mansfield paying into their insurance policy as employees all their working life. Then they get sick, they get cancer, and they want to get coverage for their illness, and they, they come up against Elizabeth Warren, who was hired by that company, to make sure they get nothing. Again, people are dead. We can't hear from them. There's a third example. She was hired by a, a big multinational corporation, and I don't remember the name of it. I, I probably shouldn't have that in front of me, who she basically was hired to screw over their union. This is the union champion, the working person's champion. Yeah, uh, right. By, by making sure that the union didn't get benefits that they were had negotiated. And at the time, the late Senator Ted Kennedy was critical of her for this. So we have someone who has made enormous profits uh, working for the millionaires and the billionaires that she's constantly shrieking about. And yeah. we have someone who has made those profits by fixing things for these corporations in such a way that has hurt working people. And on top of it all, she got her gig over at Harvard and her gig mm-hmm. apparently at the University of Pennsylvania by checking off a box claiming to be a woman of color, knowing that uh, she would get tenure. Harvard paid her $375,000 a year to teach one class. They paid her husband $375,000 a year to also teach one class. They gave her a free house. They gave her interest-free loans. And they gave her other perks. Now, this same woman who defrauded affirmative action, which is a program that I would assume liberals care about, she also is here whining incessantly about student loans and the cost of higher education. She wants the taxpayers to pick up the cost of student loans. Well, you know, I would imagine that her uh, career at Harvard is the problem with regard to why public education is so expensive. The fact that Harvard was suckered into giving her that kind of money, for what? This mediocrity... You know, scamming the system. She did the same thing at the University of Pennsylvania. What say you?
4: Well, you summed it up nicely. Uh, she's got a long track record, of, you know, taking money from anybody who will give it and then going out and uh, saying what everyone on that side wants to hear. Uh, yeah, apparently she's you know didn't build the, didn't build that herself on those roads. She used the road to get to Harvard, so that's why the federal government should pay for everything. Apparently, uh,
2: she, yeah, and Dow you know, Chemical.
4: Strange way to look at the world. Yeah, Dow Chemical, the most evil uh, evil company in the world in the eyes of most liberals, and uh, here she is right there with them. Which I find that hypocrisy pretty common through a lot of the Democrats, but she apparently is taking it to a whole new level. Uh, the uh, oh, yeah, checking the box thing isn't a small thing. That's you know that it got her a virtually tenured position. It, it produced a lot of favorability it did. to her, and it was an entire lie. And it's very it's proven. Even her ancestry has been more proven to be part of the people who rounded up the Cherokee.
2: <laughs> the no, and not only people. that, but even by her, even by her definition, if she's like one thirty second Cherokee. That doesn't qualify for affirmative action based on their own standards. And Harvard was embarrassed. They came out yeah. against her in the front page of the Boston Globe um, on this. She really scammed that school. Now yeah. we could go on to other scams. When she was still living in Oklahoma, she was uh, flipping mortgages and getting rich from basically people, including a woman whose husband was in Iraq and who fell behind on her on her mortgage payment by two days, by pushing them out of their homes and then taking possession and turning it over for the bank and making a quick profit for herself and her brothers and her family members. This is how she started her career. This is how this person got, this corrupt corporate lawyer, this hack, yeah. got involved in public life by, by by enriching herself at every opportunity. You know, there are parallels between that and the Clintons, of course. Yeah. But... Uh, in her case, I think it's so much more venal because at least the Clintons have some political gravitas i mean she's just a mediocre hack she doesn't have any i mean you i get I get her emails because they think i'm a a friend of hers, and I read these preposterous rants about you know right wingers this and that i mean it's just the most most absurd and embarrassing situation the minute she got in the Senate. She sets up a political action committee to start giving money to liberal Democrats to run against Republicans. I mean, how is she supposed to function representing the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and work with other senators when she immediately is, is just an utter political crony? I mean, just somebody who's who's working the system from the inside and uh, yep. just the hypocrisy of her as a person is so appalling I mean, she gets rid of her fancy European car when she decides to run for the Senate, and gets like a little American car for an image, and doesn't even register and pay her bill to the state for for excise tax. I mean, it just goes on and on. I mean, it's a, you know, it's it's what I despise most about liberals. And most liberals aren't this bad. The hypocrisy, the utter absurdity of her complaining about the millionaires and the billions. All right, we're joined by F.C. Sherman to the author of the book, Mercy Shot. We'll be right back.
6: Today, my new dad and I shot off a rocket in the park. Today, my new son and I failed to shoot off a rocket. He knew exactly what to do. It's not working. I had no clue what I was doing. We set up the rocket. We set up the rocket. Hit ignition. Hit ignition. And then? And then nothing. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, 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 ha. Sometimes I laugh when I'm frustrated. Then out of nowhere, the rocket launched into the air. The rocket did get into the air.
7: I've never seen anything fly so high.
6: And then crashed into a kite.
7: Look out! Look out!
6: And then the pond. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day, even if I tried. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of
8: kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services,
6: AdoptUSKids,
8: and the Ad Council.
6: Don't miss Sprint's Cut Your Bill in Half event. Just bring your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone, and we'll cut your rate plan in half. So if you're paying $260 a month for your family's four lines with Verizon, we'll cut it to $130. Or if you're paying $80 for yourself, we'll cut it to $40. Plus, we'll give you unlimited talk and text in the U.S. and match your data all on the Sprint Network. The Cut Your Bill in Half event at Sprint. Bring us your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone, and we'll cut your rate plan in half. Visit us at sprint.com slash halfprice or go to a Sprint store today. Limited time offer available when you choose a leasing option or Sprint Pay. Subject to credit and valid consumer port. Discount applied to monthly voice, text, and data charges with a minimum $10 monthly rate charge. Excludes taxes, surcharges, add-ons, apps, premium content, international services, additional lines, and device charges. Other plans may receive prioritized bandwidth availability. To improve data experience for the majority of users, throughput may be limited, varied, or reduced on the network. Max of 10 lines per account. No cash back. Third-party marks are property of their respective owners. Restrictions apply.
7: This report is brought to you by the National Limousine Association and L.A. Ride-hailing mobile apps offer a new way for city dwellers fed up with traditional transportation to get around town. But sometimes that convenience comes at a premium most passengers seem unwilling to pay, particularly if it compromises their safety. The NLA recently commissioned Harris Poll to conduct an online survey of over 2,000 U.S. adults 18 and older. 73% would not use ride-hailing apps like Uber, Lyft, Sidecar, and Whisk if doing so put them in harm's way, even. If they were convenient, 81% of Americans see it also important to have privacy protection from their car service drivers. 84% think fares should be set regardless of traffic conditions. NLA is creating Ride Responsibly, an initiative focused on educating the industry and public about regulations, legislation, and best practices within the industry. For more information, visit rideresponsibly.org.
0: What if I told you that you could reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication? If you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the Internet. Diabetic99.com People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com.
1: Author, journalist, and American patriot. This is Chuck Morse Speaks.
2: Thank you very much. S.C. Sherman's my guest. Uh, S.C., you have a, a really funny blog here. Run, Liz, Run. Elizabeth Warren Dances with Lies. Uh, and yeah. basically, uh, people can come up with funny Indian names. You know, it's, it's interesting. Her, her new, her new biography, her new autobiography. She's only been in the Senate for like five months, and already she's got an autobiography. Um, the entire book, there's not a single mention of Native Americans or Native American background that the Cherokee tribe has is outraged. They've tried to contact her. She will not talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they refer to her as the worst kind of phony, You know these types that, that, that step up and, and try to take credit for being Native Americans. And, um, you know, and the beat goes on with this thing. I mean, it's uh, she uh, when asked about it, she'll just say, well, I've already answered those questions. She won't she won't say anything. And when Scott Brown asked her about it during one of the debates, she uh, she came out at the end and said, yeah, I am a Native American and you don't like Native Americans. You therefore have something against Native Americans, which means that that's why you don't like me. It's really outrageous.
4: It really is. I mean, it would almost be humorous. It's so outrageous, but it, it's not. I mean, she, the, the Cherokee themselves are now, you know, coming out against her. It's just but she's still not going to really back down. She's not going to say, "Yeah, that was a, that was a mistake," because it wasn't a mistake. She did it on purpose. And you're, you, you laid out a whole long line list of her hypocrisies earlier, which was, you know, pretty powerful. That you've seen her all along firsthand, being from, uh, you know, in her district and the rest of the world is just kind of getting a glimpse of her, and we've had some good fun with those Indian names, but the uh, they're all because of the fact that she's based in the whole big chunks of her life on lies, which is not going to be a good setup for running for president, or you sure would hope it would be, but I guess they, they we have been proven wrong already with, with Obama or Clinton. But,
2: yeah, but but you know, here in Massachusetts, she actually was able to successfully say that uh, by bringing this up, people like Scott Brown and others – that they have something against Native American men and women. That's why yeah. they're bringing it up.
4: So It's amazing she can accomplish that, that, that it's not shown that we have nothing against Native Americans. We have, nothing, we have something against liars. You know, there's <laughs> there's no problem having a well, I mean, it's Native American it's, heritage, it's, but lying about it to have uh, personal gain is wrong.
2: <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, look, it was Elizabeth Warren who screwed over the affirmative action system, she made the whole thing, she exposed the whole thing, I mean, I, in my opinion, as a fraud in and of itself, but that's a separate subject. The fact is yeah. that it exists and it's supported passionately by by most liberals, and she defrauded that system. She was actually yeah. listed in an intellectual um, magazine as a woman of color as part of an article, you know, and yet when she was asked about it by the Boston Herald, she completely denied it and said, yep. no, I've never said I'm a woman of color. And then she backtracked and said, yes, I did, after it became a big issue. A- and it's all this kind of like, I mean, it's worse than just the, the typical political lies. I mean, all politicians will exaggerate or they will omit things <clears throat> in their biographies that are unpleasant. This is like an ongoing mm-hmm. um falsity that, that that shows that this person's entire substance, their entire life is, is a massively constructed lie. Yeah. Now, we haven't even talked yet about her involvement in the um, in the Consumer Protection Bureau, her creation of this agency, which is her greatest and most glorious accomplishment, according yeah. to the left. She was paid $600, $600 an hour in taxpayer money while she was at Harvard, while she was working for the corporations, to create this thing. What she did was she created an agency that does not derive its income from Congress, in other words, it's not under the auspices of Congress, which is what the Constitution calls for. Instead, they derive their their income from directly from the Federal Reserve. Now, what is the Federal Reserve? It's the millionaires and billionaires on wall street it's It's the private consortium of bankers that make up our central bank, and there, and that's who she's supposed to be regulating. This agency is supposed to be regulating uh, bad practices amongst banks. You know, she rails against the big banks. I mean, this agency is a cat's paw for the banks. And furthermore, it has sovereign powers that are outside of the Constitution. It's not accountable to Congress. And they are going in and raiding businesses, confiscating computers uh, uh, on very vague terms. They've been given this enormous power over our economy. that that is unprecedented and it's uncalled for. There are plenty of agencies already in place to regulate uh, corporate corruption. So, you know, you've got this, this huge new bureaucracy in Washington that she's created, and it's not accountable to the government. Anyway, we'll be right back.
0: diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication if you or someone you care about has diabetes or pre diabetes there's a special free video you need to watch you may have heard about this it's all over the internet diabetic 99.com people who have followed this plan at diabetic 99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval diabetic 99.com is a natural drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com.
7: This report is brought to you by the National Limousine Association and L.A. Ride-hailing mobile apps offer a new way for city dwellers fed up with traditional transportation to get around town. But sometimes that convenience comes at a premium most passengers seem unwilling to pay, particularly if it compromises their safety. The NLA recently commissioned Harris Poll to conduct an online survey of over 2,000 U.S. adults 18 and older. 73% would not use ride-hailing apps like Uber, Lyft, Sidecar and whisk. if doing so, put them in harm's way, even if they were convenient. 81% of Americans see it also important to have privacy protection from their car service drivers. 84% think fares should be set regardless of traffic conditions. NLA is creating Ride Responsibly, an initiative focused on educating the industry and public about regulations, legislation, and best practices within the industry. For more information, visit rideresponsibly.org.
1: Chuck Morse Speaks.
2: Thank you very much. And uh, We are back here. We're talking about Elizabeth Warren, who, uh, by the way, she uh, she uses the name of her divorced husband, whom she was married to for about five minutes, and who I think helped put her through uh, college. But putting that aside, um, you've got some interesting research on her ethnic background. Why don't you talk a bit about that?
4: Yeah, she uh, you know, claimed, the, claimed the 132nd Cherokee status, uh, used that to get ahead a couple different places, uh, fairly well verified. And then, uh, as she was challenged on that, she, like you said, uh, did the political dance around it, but um, uh, you know, knowledgeable individuals did some firm research and found out that in the New England Historical Society had to finally pull back. They were sticking behind her, but really it was based upon sort of a hearsay thing, uh, you know, a great, great, great grandmother mother was supposedly Cherokee, but there's never been any direct mutation found. There was a birth certificate found that did show nothing on there, um, and really there's nothing to verify it at all, except for her, her aunt had a cookbook called Pow Wow Chow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in, in any kind of genealogy thing, there's, there's lots of stories and hearsay in families, but it's never taken seriously without its documentation, uh. And I learned that a little bit myself. My first book, Leaving Southfield, does end up on the shores of Boston. and I I did quite a little genealogical work with that and found, yeah, you have to verify everything. And you can't just go out claiming a status because you heard a rumor in your family. And really that's what she's done Mm -hmm. and taken it to quite a high level. Just showing her character. Right. She also
2: said, she mentioned to the Herald when the story first broke, that the reason she did it was because it was a, ch- a way to make friends, she said. <laughs> that's why she, That's why she claimed it at Harvard. Yeah. Um, but, but you also talk about her, her great-great-grandpa Crawford. Talk about that.
4: Right, yeah. And in the process of trying to verify the Cherokee status, uh, it was a, he was a Cherokee researcher, actually. I believe Sam Morningside is the guy I'm kind of quoting. Um, discovered that this great-great-great thing was three greats' grandfather, was in the militia that rounded up the Cherokee, and I believe three or four different states—North uh, Carolina, Georgia, uh, Tennessee—and we're part of the, the crew that rounded up the Cherokee and got them on the trail of Tears, which isn't yeah. one of our darker spots in American history related to Native Americans. So she actually has a pretty dark stain in the Hit, hit, ch- hit Cherokee Pass—not not a positive—but um, that, that doesn't get mentioned when we're trying to create a false persona.
2: Yeah, right, exactly. So we have basically somebody who was involved with the um the Trail of Tears, which yeah. of course uh, was driving the Indians out of Georgia mostly and and yep. into um Oklahoma, which of course yep. is um was supposed to be perpetually promised to the Native Americans of a, a, a promise that was violated in the late um, 19th century, a promise that actually had been given by President Andrew Jackson. Um and uh, so she really you know i mean the whole thing is um i don't know i've heard people from oklahoma say that you know recognize this kind of phoniness in that they say it's typical of a lot of people in that state who like to make these sorts of claims based upon just like family legend or lore right. and uh, and that's one th- that's one thing but the fact that she would use this as a way to get tenure at harvard that's what's despicable about it right not that she wants to pretend she's a native american That's silly, but it becomes a problem when one uses these things to defraud um, the Affirmative Action Program, putting aside what we might think of that program.
4: Absolutely. That's the the bad part of it is the lie. It's being used for a great financial gain. I mean, it's one thing to have a story in your family that maybe isn't fully verifiable, but then to use that in such a way as if it's fact is (laughs) hypocritical to a high level.
2: Oh yeah, I mean financial gain, political gain. She oh, yeah. she got famous from it. She actually got written up in this, this silly left wing uh, intellectual journal about women of color. You know, they did a whole piece on her. Oh, they just loved it. We'll be right
5: A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show Chuck Moore Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year award and was named a Heavy 100 Radio Talk Host by Talkers magazine. When Chuck Moore speaks, people listen.
2: The taking possession of this tiny holy land. So that that, the Jew can serve God, not conquer the world.
5: To hear Chuck live, go to irnusaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the On Demand page at deborahray.us.
8: Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via his universal laws and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com dot com.
6: Your bill in half of it. Just bring your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone and we'll cut your rate plan in half. So if you're paying $260 a month for your family's four lines with Verizon, we'll cut it to $130. Or if you're paying $80 for yourself, we'll cut it to $40. Plus we'll give you unlimited talk and text in the U.S. and match your data all on the Sprint network. The cut your bill in half event at Sprint. Bring us your Verizon or AT&T bill and turn in your old phone and we'll cut your rate plan in half. Visit us at Sprint.com slash halfprice or go to a Sprint store today. Limited time offer available when you choose a leasing option or Sprint EasyPay. Subject to credit and valid consumer port. Discount applied to monthly voice, text, and data charges with a minimum $10 monthly rate charge. Excludes taxes, surcharges, add-ons, apps, premium content, international services, additional lines, and device charges. Other plans may receive prioritized bandwidth availability. To improve data experience for the majority of users, throughput may be limited, varied, or reduced on the network. Max of 10 lines per account. No cash back. Third-party marks are property of their respective owners. Restrictions apply.
2: Chuck Morse speaks Thank you very much and S.C. Sherman's my guest He's the author of the book Mercy Shot He's a novelist, he's a blogger Uh, S.C., talk a little bit about your book Oh, I think we just lost Tessie. Okay, I had to run. Um, yeah, okay, no problem. Um, I, don't get me started on Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I mean, I've written articles about this. The thing that bothers me most about her is, is not that she's taking left-wing positions. I don't like that, but those are reasonable positions to take and debate. There are plenty of people who take them that are fine. It's the utter sheer hypocrisy of how she's lived her life and how she's made her way in the world uh, compared to those positions that she takes. And I do think she takes those positions in a very ham-handed way, I might point out. Now, she's not even a particularly good spokesperson for those positions. And and it's that uh, the very same so-called millionaires and billionaires that she rails against And these are people who mostly deserve to enjoy their wealth. I mean, they've earned it. Like people like Mitt Romney, for example. And the fact that uh, we demonize successful people is itself a disgrace in this country. These are people we should be praising. But the fact that it's her that is not only engaging in this calumny with regard to attacking successful people, but she is doing it as someone who is a millionaire, billionaire herself, and who furthermore made her millions and billions, not the the old-fashioned way, which was earning it um, and, and working for it, like Mitt Romney did. But instead, she did it through really kind of questionable and shady legal tactics. Um, you know, using her skill as an insider lawyer uh, to uh, be hired by companies using her her deception of claiming to be a woman of color to get ahead in a, in the academic world using her skills as a lawyer to shake down people who uh, whose mortgages are in trouble during the mortgage crisis to so make a buck Which is that's what bothers people be like that
8: Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via his universal laws and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website theanswer-book.com Chuck Morse Speaks
2: Thank you very much Christopher Cameron is my guest the book is To Plead Our Own Cause African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti-Slavery Movement Christopher um, how influential were Calvinist ideas to the development of the black church, and how influential were those ideas to the civil rights movement itself in the 1960s?
3: Uh, Calvinist ideas were important in the development of black Baptist churches. Um, so the first uh, black Baptist church arose in Savannah, Georgia in 1775, uh, and then there were a few more congregations throughout the South, as well as. A Black Baptist Church in Boston in 1806, and um, and throughout other northern cities. So it was primarily important within that denomination um, during the early uh, late 18th and early 19th century. Um, but it would not be as important in the sort of larger African Methodist Episcopal and African Methodist Episcopal Zion denominations. Um, there we mm-hmm. see a sort of move away from Calvinism towards more Arminian ideas that you can choose your own spiritual uh, fate, you can choose to be saved. Um, So they really start—most black Christians in the 19th century would sort of move away from ideas of uh, predestination. One thing that they didn't move away from, though, whether you were Methodist, Baptist, whatever denomination, is the notion that God had a covenant uh, with the American people, Right. Um, and that you had to mm-hmm. live a just and moral and virtuous life on an individual level and at the national level if this society was going to survive and continue to thrive and grow, right? So um, that idea sure. was really infused throughout Black Christianity and would play a very prominent role in both abolitionism and in civil rights um, 100 years later. And And we see the same thing. Um, even among, you know, members of the Nation of Islam, Black Baptist churches, Black Methodist churches in the 1960s, there's still this powerful idea um, of a covenant with God, right? And if Americans yeah. break this covenant through slavery or through racism in Jim Crow in the 20th century, then God is going to have his wrath against the nation. So it, it would certainly continue to play a very powerful role throughout black religious and intellectual history.
2: I also think that these ideas and, and, uh, you know, the covenant idea, the uh, atonement idea, uh, other biblical ideas, absolutely animated the public speeches and utterances of of the late great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and that Mm -hmm. that was the moral underpinning of the whole movement.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I I, I very briefly touch on this at the end of my book, but... The activists that I explore um, in my work, Phyllis Wheatley and Prince Hall and Lemuel Haynes and David Walker, were really the sort of intellectual predecessors of um, the more famous people that we know from the 20th century, like Malcolm X or Fannie Lou Hamer or Martin Luther King, right? Um, These 18th and early 19th century activists really sort of initiated the uh, rhetorical strategies um, and the kind of uh, the mixture of religion and politics um, that great civil rights leaders would employ a hundred years later,
2: right, and that uh, I think that this was really the this presentation more than anything else is what led to the success of the movement. i mean it's uh it was eventually embraced by most well meaning white people, including people in the south who who were not that inclined because it, it, it resonated. It, it made sense. I mean, there was a moral component. Once that That's what won the day, and that's exactly what Martin Luther King predicted.
3: Yeah, I think you're right, but um, you make an important point in saying it was embraced by most well-meaning uh, white people in the South, right? And how many well-meaning right, people there were is certainly up to debate, right? So um, even as sure, widespread sure. as the civil rights movement was, Um, it was still not very, very widely embraced by all of American society. And we see at the end of the 1960s a very sharp backlash um, to the civil rights movement.
2: Right, right. But I think that, and sure, I mean, obviously it wasn't embraced, but I think it was generally embraced by by the vast majority and because of its moral message. Um, And and that... uh, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's what made the change. Uh, you know, it's why we've rejected these, you know, the, the ideas that were prevalent before it, the Jim Crow laws. Um, mm-hmm. there are other reasons why I think people might have problems with the civil rights movement, but it's not because of the moral aspect to it. Um, you know, the, the, the moral aspect to it, I think resonated and became very much a part of, um, uh, mainstream American thinking.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think you I think you're
2: right. Christopher Cameron, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Right, thank you so much. To plead our you. own cause. Thank you very much, sir.
1: This report is brought to you by Staples. More managers are encouraging sick employees to stay home, but your colleagues still came in with a flu and <laughs> Now you've got it too. The flu costs the U.S. more than $87 billion annually and is responsible for the loss of nearly 17 million workdays. According to the 5th Annual Flu Survey from Staples, 60% of office workers attend work despite their illness, meaning the workplace's best defense is a good offense. Chris Correnti, Vice President and General Manager, Staples Facility Solutions. With a few easy steps, the spread of illness can be significantly curbed, leaving employees healthier and more productive. Staples encourages protecting employees during flu season through three measures, educating them about flu prevention, providing the right supplies, and offering alternatives to attending work while sick. Providing hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies, and telecommuting options for the ill can help keep the office flu-free. Employers can also stress the importance of washing hands, taking recovery time, and cleaning shared surface areas. For more information, visit staples.com flu prevention. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network.
2: The Cameron for joining me, Um, professor at uh, Kent State University. The author to Complete Our Own Cause African Americans in Massachusetts and the Making of the Anti Slavery Movement. It's really very insightful book, and um, I'm I'm hoping to have him back um, soon once I finish the book. Uh, the uh, I was listening before this program to uh, my radio host colleague Jeff Kooner on WRKO debate Jeff Jacoby, who is a conservative columnist for the Boston Globe, and who wrote a column attacking Jeff and his rally on the State House steps here in Massachusetts, um, which was against uh, the illegal immigration, referring to them as nativist referring to uh, them as unhinged and and basically uh, a very hard-hitting, nasty column. And uh, I thought that uh, Jeff Cooter had had, uh, Jeff Jacoby on the program. They cleared away all commercials and and calls and breaks, and they went at it for an hour and a half without a single interruption. It was one of the best radio segments that I have ever heard. Um, It reminded me of what WRKO did back in the day, when my mentor, the late, great Jerry Williams, had on Governor Michael Dukakis. This was uh, 1989, 1990, around that time. And again, they cleared away all commercials, they cleared away all interruptions, and they just went mano a mano. Um, And it was just a tremendous, memorable radio moment. Uh, So I congratulate both Jeff Kooner and Jeff Jacoby. I've invited both of them on this program uh, separately they want to come on together, they're welcome. Um, and I hope that they respond because, uh, to my way of thinking, just from a sheer radio standpoint, this is the essence of what I believe talk radio is all about. You had a real argument on real differences presented by two very brilliant and accomplished uh, radio people who know how to handle themselves on the air and who are both intellectuals in their own right. And, um, I'm just uh, amazed that that it took place. Now, in the next hour, hour number two here, we'll be joined by S.C. Sherman, who is the author of the book, Mercy Shot. He wants to talk about Elizabeth Warren. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back after these messages. Listen to the Information Radio Network.
1: Guys like us walk into a facility in the morning. We can smell a problem. No one needs to hand us a work order. We already know it. Today, for instance, we need a new gearbox, six globe valves, and a dozen ballasts. And when I smell a problem, Granger smells that I smell a problem. They help me keep this place up and running. Now that's the kind of smell I like. The sweet smell of success. Get it? Got it? Good. Call, clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
5: Musicians, now through Sunday at Guitar Center, don't miss the big payback. For every fifty dollars you spend, we're giving you ten dollars in Guitar Center bucks good towards a future purchase. That's right, we're paying you back up to five hundred Guitar Center bucks. So come by and get hands on with the gear you really want—from the best guitars, drums, keyboards, and amplifiers to the most state of the art DJ, live sound, and recording gear. Because during Guitar Center's Big Payback Weekend, the more you spend, the more you earn. In-store in store and GuitarCenter.com. Exclusions and limitations apply. Visit Guitar Center.